0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Training Ground Podcast with your host, Kevin Barry. In this episode, Kevin is speaking with Maddie Petrie. Maddie is a mental conditioning coach and works at the world-renowned IMG Academy. Today, they will be diving into one of the most commonly overlooked aspects of athlete development. Maddie will be talking about why athletes should develop a second or extended identity outside of sport, how to deal with motivation, stress, anxiety, and arousal related to game days, how to develop a long-term positive mindset as an athlete and her career in sports psychology in her new position at IMG Academy.
1: Maddie, I appreciate you coming on Training Ground Podcast. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited to get to chat.
1: I know you're the first person that has a background that's not directly in strength and conditioning, but I think you bring a lot of value to the field um, on the performance aspect. Can you tell me about your academic background and your job title at the moment and kind of how you got into sports psychology as such from there.
0: Yeah. Well, first, thank you. Um, Mm. I'm always, I always love being able to provide a different perspective than what would maybe be the traditional uh, viewpoint in terms of performance, but my own uh, background, it started with, um, (laughs) having a pretty poor mental performance track record Um, as a high school athlete and then cycling in college. I was my own worst enemy. And it wasn't until I took sports psychology in my undergrad where I realized, oh, this is a thing. Um, So really becoming fascinated with the idea that I could work on my confidence. I could look within to find the answers I was looking for to be able to provide that a uh, sense of control that i so desperately wanted i would you know before race i used to rely on a very strict regimen to get me prepared and that was what i thought brought me the luck or the the good vibes to perform well so i was really relying on hope as a strategy but then you know sports psychology taught me okay no you actually there are tools that you can utilize just as you know you do a warm up to get your muscles warm You can do the same thing for your mind. So uh, graduated and then with my undergrad or my um, yeah undergrad kinesiology, and I knew that I wanted to get into more of the behavior change aspect, but I didn't necessarily consider sports psychology right off the bat. I did health coaching, but that still really wasn't what I wanted um, and I realized it was working with an athletic population that really um, brought you know the fire, the passion so sure enough, I found sport and exercise psychology as a master's program at Cal State Long Beach when I lived in Los Angeles, and over those two years learned a lot and definitely found my niche and with my capstone project that I did, it looked at athletic identity in high school athletes, and you know the consequences that arise from someone identifying really strongly as an athlete versus being able to say, you know, I am a teenager who plays volleyball rather than I am a volleyball player, just the differences between that. And that's how I got into um, the idea of, student athlete development and working with younger athletes just being able to help them you know traverse I mean being a young adult is already challenging enough of
1: course yeah Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) but being able to provide that support um and safe space to really just examine who they are and what they want to accomplish and that's how I've kind of molded my own uh my own way uh, mm-hmm. essentially um because i didn't want to go through and get my phd after i graduated i wanted to hop right into um the applied side and mm-hmm. so that's what ended up me at wake forest in their student athlete development department and really getting to have those conversations of hey how can we be better than we were yesterday um and just really affect change that way and um Unfortunately, an unpaid internship can only last so long, which is what I had at Wake. Uh, So jump back into more of the... personal training side of things just, uh, for, you know, a year and a half or so. Um, but then kept going with my mental performance training, coaching on the side, accrued my hours for my CNPC, um, got that. And now I'm starting at IMG as a mental conditioning coach, which has been the goal for a few years. Absolutely.
1: Congratulations on that. <laughs>
0: thank you yes so fantastic. very excited to not necessarily have mental performance be my side hustle but mm-hmm. be what i'm able to focus on full-time um so very very much looking forward to that change of pace <laughs> that's
1: excellent no it's great to see you've been able to go all in and it's paid off uh, obviously a pure passion of yours so that's <laughs> yeah. fantastic
0: it's um, been it's been a path <laughs>
1: What well, what were the initial um, thoughts for friends and family um, when you were thinking about sports psychology? Were they receptive to that? Or was that something that, you know, only, only a very few amount of people do? Were there any hesitation or
0: yeah. um, anxiety on your end? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I, well, First foremost, I grew up with very supportive parents, but I had to explain to them what the field was and uh, mm-hmm. my husband too um he was he played football uh, in college for a couple of years, so he was familiar with the trials and tribulations that being especially a d one athlete um, provides and so just being able to say, "Hey, this is a legitimate field, similarly to you know strength and conditioning, you know you call on those coaches to make you stronger physically." Sports Mm -hmm. psychology in that field is the same for your brain. And, you know, these skills that we want to harness and get better, we have to um, repeatedly uh, challenge ourselves and practice them. And that's what this field provides. So it only required uh, a short description Mm -hmm. and they saw how excited I was about it. And it only, you know reinforced my desire to join the field because, um, I could feel how passionate and excited I was about it. I never really had to force it be like, Oh, I have to wake up and do this. It's mm-hmm. always felt pretty natural for me. Um, and I think again, that just ties back into my own experience with, you know, uh, a, being a competitor mm-hmm. and figuring out, you know, there's only so much I can do on the physical side. Um, and if you really want to be your best, then you have to, examine what's going on in between your years. so um i mean i'm sure i'm sure you're familiar with you know when you're talking with someone who's super passionate about you know what they do or what their interests are it's easy to be you know jump on board and be like yep that's of legit course. let's go <laughs>
1: yeah and it's an easy sell too i think we can get into that um for programs starting up um, a little bit later um can you talk a little bit about your time at wake forest and obviously you said that was the internship role was that your first practical experience or kind of outside of the classroom and um, what was the general day-to-day there for you that environment
0: yeah so i had um i was about halfway done with my CNPC hours, so i had about 200 hours working with young athletes at that point when i was still in los angeles and then i came to find this internship position because i love tying back into my capstone project athletic identity That's a huge piece that student athlete development departments um, work on, you know, being able to develop the athlete outside of their physical performance. They're looking at personal well-being, professional, you know, do you have a resume? Can you list off three things that, you know, you're really good at or that you like about yourself? And those are the kind of conversations we're really getting into on a uh, daily basis. And it's shocking Saddening but also inspiring because it's a whole whirlwind of emotions because a lot of these athletes, you know, when you ask them what's your favorite thing about yourself, they wouldn't be able to talk about anything outside of their sport. So mm-hmm. again, providing that space to say, hey, let's consider who you are outside of, you know, your statistics or, you know, um what you've accomplished so far in the field or court. Mm-hmm. And That's what was really inspiring about the work because these are young athletes that maybe for the first time are thinking about who they are outside of their sport. So a lot of um, resume chats and career building workshops um, coupled with, again, the personal development of just asking, like, who am I? What do I like? Um, Because I think a lot of our young athletes, they just get pigeonholed into being that's a basketball player that's a volleyball player, whatever sport it is, and being able to self-reflect and, um, you know, have it be normalized um, Mm -hmm. is huge. And so that's what um, I spent the most of my time doing at Wake. And it was really great because Ashley Wechter, the uh, director of that department, she's amazing. Um, You know, she had such a genuine uh, passion and just uh, desire to help Student athletes be the best that they could be, and so working for someone with that passion, it just you know carried over and overflowed to anyone yeah. she came in contact with. And so I I learned a lot from her. And, um, like I said, the bummer was it was just unpaid, so I couldn't mm-hmm. stay there.
1: <laughs> yeah, how do you approach that conversation initially um, with an athlete? Um, I was injured my sophomore year myself, first game of the season playing soccer, and uh, like you said, you do have an identity crisis almost. and we see it a lot with athletes, um, especially at our level, uh, work at Division Two, that they don't have the support or structure they might need. Um, but how do you approach that conversation of them that they're more than an athlete without saying, you know, Maddie is a dream killer, or she doesn't see me as, you know, the star athlete that I am, um, yeah. given that plan B as such?
0: Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, anytime you're having that kind of conversation with someone, what I've found is you have to be able to, to build rapport and have them trust you to engage in that conversation because it's not easy to let your guard down, especially with a lot of our athletes. They're taught to be tough, You know, put a Band-Aid on it. Don't talk about anything too personal. We don't want that. That doesn't Mm -hmm. belong in the weight room or whatever um, it might be. And so um, being able to relate and say, hey, I know this injury, it seems like your life is over, um, but I promise you it isn't. Let's focus on what we can um, do or strengthen right now and engage in to, you know, potentially get you back to playing or what it, because I mean, injury, whether it's season ending or, you know, totally ends your career, it's a little bit different of conversation, but saying, I see acknowledging that hurt and that pain and saying, let's redirect our attention and focus, even just temporarily to saying, Okay what else do you like to do? And it's not, and really being able to emphasize that even just because we're talking about something other than your sport doesn't mean that it's any less important. We can, you know, parallel process and talk about, you know, multiple different things because that's our identity. We're not just one, um, one category as humans, we're so much more diverse than that. Mm -hmm. So again, just providing that, alternative perspective to say, Hey, let's just think outside of the box a little bit. Um, but again, showing them that it's okay to do that because I, um, I just, it's heartbreaking to see how many athletes don't engage in that kind of conversation until they're, they have a, no other choice, like it, with an injury or something. Or like, for instance, when um, COVID hit last year with, you know, the tournaments being canceled and season's just ending, you know, that's a terrifying reality for these athletes to deal with. And so um, providing, you know, an outlet to say, hey, you're not alone. Let's let's talk about what makes you you. And people love talking about themselves when they get the chance mm. to. So it's really just being a good listener.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it makes sense. Um, one of the things I've saw, just anecdotal on on my end, I haven't really spoken to any other people about it so far, is when COVID did happen, there was a lot of uh, athletes I work with that kind of they leveled up their fitness and strength and condition. And it was kind of something where it's that's the only sense of control they have, you know, whereas mm. the world's been out of control as such and that they really dial in. Um, you know, I feel like sometimes that can be positive as well as a negative trait as well, you know, because um, a lot of I did some grad research on eating disorders and things like that. And mm-hmm. I know that can be an issue as well. So um, I, I think one of the important things that just to point out. Um, when you were at Wake Forest was, it's a proactive conversation that you're having with athletes, right? It's not just a case of, oh, torn ACL, let's address it now. It's Mm -hmm. when they first come in or before their season starts and and things like that.
0: Absolutely. It's, um, you know, rather than it just being that reactive, um, conversation, it makes such a difference because then also there are, again, it's just normalized. It's like everyday conversation. And I just being able to see the relief that comes, um, from that realization that our athletes had in terms, of Oh, I can talk about that. That mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, it's, it's awesome to provide that. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to stay with youth athletes because it, the earlier you can have those conversations, the more impactful it can be. And you know, to your earlier point about the control, it's it's a spectrum, right? I mean, I too much you know, and turns into you know, almost like an obsessive compulsive mm-hmm. um disorder, but then to do um, not enough of it, you know, we feel just completely lost. And so, really being able to work um, and find you know, the um, the skills that put us right in that sweet spot i also personally like the control i really like to use more synonyms for it, like what can i influence instead of like having complete control over it because mm-hmm. it can it gets really dicey because that's you know where rituals start and you know trying to get everything perfect and if that's what someone relies on oh you're missing the boat
1: <laughs> that's huge um, yeah that's a great thought Excellent. Um, when you're sitting down with an athlete, maybe for the first time, um, how are you able to develop some goals or processes that, you know, you don't want to rid yourself of a job um, on your end too, but how can you teach that athlete independence of that? They don't need you every minute of the day, that long-term they can build sustainable habits for themselves.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, the goal is that they wouldn't need me. They just come to see me because they they like me. They like mm-hmm. the conversations we have, and they know that I can provide you know new skills for them. Um, so that is the ultimate goal. But like to say. I need a job. Uh, um, but you know, to make you know goals and just um, I guess we'll start there. Goals the most effective. What I found is really starting with um, the the values and what makes that person tick, you know, finding out what motivates them and being able to formulate a plan from there. It has, there has to be ownership from the athlete to say, okay, this is the meaningful direction I want my life to take. And I can't, Um, I can't decide that for them. And that's something that I always emphasize is, you know, the person that I'm speaking to, they know their life the best. I'm Mm -hmm. just here to facilitate a conversation exploration. Um, I don't know anything, especially from the start about that person. Mm -hmm. Um, and so while I might be the, the expert, um, or the coach, you know, they have a lot to teach me about themselves. That's how I'm going to learn about them. And so giving that back and forth, you know, we build that trusting relationship. And so then maybe I'm able to suggest something down the line because I know them, I know, I know them and it's not, you know, giving unsolicited advice, which we all always roll our eyes at because Mm. that's not great. Uh, It's more annoying than anything else, but being able to help them, you know, figure out what makes them tick. And Angela Duckworth, she's one of my, um, favorites she does a ton of research on grit and she her you know to become gritty um she talks about finding goals that not only are meaningful to you but are meaningful to others so if you look at you know kind of your life purpose as you know being able to affect change positively for other people um that's what's really going to make you be able to wake up every day and say okay how can I be 1% better? And having those kind of conversations, it's, it's, that's what I found learn or leads to more long-term adherence rather than it just being, you know, a phase that they're going through or just for one season. Um, because ultimately, you know, every, everyone's athletic career ends it just looks different depending on who you are and what sport you play and all those other factors um but again it's just a lot of self-reflection i've found uh, that makes it personal
1: that's great it's not a case it's a lot of open-ended conversation not just checking boxes at the end of the day
0: (laughs) absolutely uh being able to act open-ended questions was definitely part of my curriculum um, mm-hmm. in my master's program.
1: <laughs> God, that's fantastic. Um, can we get into that a little bit and then um let's uh talk about your um certification that our yeah. certificate that you do have CMPC. Um mm-hmm. it's a gold standard. Um I know I get um one of my professors I used to work with said you need to talk about yourself more. Um <laughs> but you, you kind of count down your qualifications by you really do have the gold standard in the field. Can you talk about that and uh, how that process was for you?
0: Yeah. Um, well, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't want to go into the PhD route. Um, the statistics class I took was already difficult enough. I was like, nope, applied. So CNPC, they talk about it um, and, uh, during our courses. And so they set us up to be able to start accruing our hours while we were there on campus. And so um, I worked with a handful of volleyball teams across LA County. Um, and by the time I graduated, I think I said earlier, I had about 200 hours. It's a 400 hour certification. Um, so the requirements, you have to have a master's or a doctorate. You have to accrue you know, your 400 hours of shadowed work so saying that you know you worked with specific athletic populations you worked on you know certain skills um it's it's a little bit broad in terms of you know what you can specifically teach um but the idea is that you have a mentor they're checking up your hours they're you're engaging um with them they see how you're consulting what you can improve on so it's very back and forth which is great Mm -hmm. but 400 hours takes a little bit (laughs) Um, but along with that, when you go to, before you can sit for the exam, you have to also show that the coursework that you took during your master's or doctorate program. Um, so specific courses outside of sports psychology, um, like I'm trying, I think it's helping behaviors or, um, which for instance, I took a, um, a couple classes in the psychology department on campus, which is really neat. It wasn't just in the kinesiology department. Mm -hmm. So being able to get some more um, clinical, I guess, experience and um, conversations in that area, uh, which definitely provided a ton of skill sets for me to uh, be able to really improve and think about outside of the realm of sport but then also apply it in my own unique way because in the psychology department they're not thinking about athletics um, during their coursework um but yeah then after you send all of that in to uh ask the association of applied sports psychology you get to sit for the exam and then you take it and if you pass it you get a certificate (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely i mean i I'm not sure if my parents are like me saying this, but I think it's the proudest piece of paper I've gotten thus far um, on top of my degrees, Mm -hmm. um, just because I know the all the work I put into it and getting and the confidence that it provides you as a practitioner, because, you know, you don't. I mean, everyone suffers from imposter syndrome from time to time, say, in terms of, do I belong here? Mm -hmm. Um, Did I earn this? And this, you know, certification really provides that oomph when I need it and saying, yes, Maddie, you belong here, do your thing. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So that's the process of it. So it it took a few, I'd say like two and a half years, um, but very
1: much well worth it. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I had no idea about that kind of background. i um, coming from strength and conditioning myself. I remember um, I might have been 15 or 16 growing up. And I read, not sure if you're familiar with uh, Mind Gym, the name of the book, uh, Jerry Murray. i heard about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was kind of my first thought that, you know, maybe youth athletes don't, not that you don't need strength and conditioning, but you always push towards uh, hard work. And A lot of people think like flexibility, mobility stuff or even mental imagery, it's, it doesn't feel hard. So it's not worth the effort, but there can be a lot of small wins there.
0: Absolutely. I think you touch on a really interesting point too, because, you know, I think a lot of my approach deals with mindfulness and uh, acceptance. I, I encourage you to look up the Mac approach. It's called mindfulness, acceptance, commitment, um, But that framework, you know, it's um, it's not necessarily meditation based, but it's asking yourself to kind of go within. And a lot of mindfulness work gets kind of trashed on a little bit because it's like, oh, well, I tried deep breathing once and it didn't I didn't really feel a difference. It's like, okay, well, if you only went to the gym one time, Mm -hmm. would you notice an improvement in your strength? No. (laughs) So, a lot of it has to do, or a lot of, you know, um, just providing that perspective for people saying, yeah, of course, if you only stuck with it for a couple weeks, it's not going to lead to any like groundbreaking changes. This is stuff you have to carry throughout your life. So, again, starting with youth athletes, if it becomes the norm to work on their mental performance just like they do with their physical training, you know, five, six days a week, man, they are going to be eons ahead of their peers who just start you know potentially in college or if they reach the professional level at that level
1: too Mm -hmm. how can you define success um in that it's it must be difficult to try and sell to somebody that's never done it before their parents never were elite athletes but Mm -hmm. um how how can we kind of inspire the the next generation or the youth athlete to say you know i'll try it out today
0: Yeah. um, Well, I mean, of course, the the research part of me, you know, we say you can do a survey. You know, when you first start, how are your skills? You know, A, B, C, D, um, Mm -hmm. and then you know, test afterwards. But the best way that I like to describe it, mental performance um, as a whole, and what it teaches you, um, look, it's looking at reframing competition. Because competition is often, you know, framed as you versus someone else, but I like to flip it around a little bit and say, you know, uh, and I can't remember which book I read this in. So I definitely didn't come up with it. Um,
1: I I do need your uh, book list. You've got a lot of good resources, I think.
0: (laughs) Yes, I will definitely need to send you that um, after this. But it says competition is me versus myself yesterday with you versus yourself yesterday. So instead of framing, you know, the person I'm trying to beat is, you know, the opposing team, it's asking myself, what am I doing better than I did yesterday? So being able to identify an action that you want to improve on. So whether it's, you know, a certain physical skill, so you're trying to kick the ball farther, or um, you want to feel more confident. um, And again, that's pretty, you know, open ended, but everyone knows what it's like to you know, feel they're kind of, their chest is puffed out. They feel great. You know, what do you need to do to accomplish that? And, you know, whether it's writing it down, which I always recommend like my athletes do, or just keeping it in their head, you can identify, okay, on a scale of one to 10, where's my effort in terms of being better or more confident than I was yesterday and getting that self check-in because again, that puts the power, back on the person themselves and they don't have to rely on anyone else to say, oh, well, you're actually lacking in that skill set or you're not, you're not improving. They have the power and then they show up to competition saying, all right, I know because of the last, you know, week and a half, I've improved on these certain skills. I'm ready to go. Um, so that's how I like to really frame it for people because it is so, you know, you can't you know yeah. write down the weights that your, your brain is, you know, pushing mm-hmm. out, but
1: um, yeah.
0: be, getting people to really examine, you know, where they were yesterday, where they are today, and that's where we go. And that's how you can determine the direction that you need to continue in to get better.
1: No, that's great. The first thing that came to mind as you were talking about that was um, an athlete, maybe that is not playing as much as they used to. And they say it's the coach's fault, mm. um, but you can really break it down and see what you can influence like you were talking about.
0: That's Absolutely. Great. Yeah. I love that your word, uh, word choice of influence.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I took a note of it. I said, uh, I'm going to get it in here somewhere today. Um, yeah, that's no,
0: I, I love that. It's um, that's, you know, the blaming is a a really good example of a a common thinking chat that we can fall into because it's easier to put the, you know, the responsibility on someone else, but a true, you know, athlete or, you know, competitive performer is going to say, okay, that's my bad. What can I do to change that outcome? Um, Mm -hmm. And then boom, you have your action plan. And so again, it gives you all the power, which is what so much of our anxiety and that anxious feeling arises from feeling like, we can't, you know, get a good grasp on things. So, um, yeah, That's I
1: love fantastic. that example. <laughs> um, if we're looking at say, a, an example with, uh, somebody that has a game or an important meet coming up, depending on their event. Um, can you talk a little bit about stress, anxiety, and just arousal in general? Um, cause yeah. what I have noticed in, in large group settings is like, it, you always have to be hype or, you know, but that doesn't mm-hmm. work for everybody. Um, I've read some baseball players like listen to classical music before games, (laughs) stuff like that. But yeah, um, is it an individual approach? Have you found, and what can uh, individual athletes do to kind of zone in uh, for game day itself?
0: Yeah, again, the self awareness piece is key. So realizing, you know, if you need a hype playlist to get you going, and whether that's you know Mozart or you know Jay Z you know, you have to find where you are on that spectrum. Um, Some people love being around others. Some prefer to be off on their own. So first and foremost, being able to identify yourself where you are. But I think what leads to a lot of pre-competition jitters and anxiety is this idea that I haven't done enough or, um, you know, wanting to make sure that you're going to uh, compete at the highest level. And a really great light bulb moment is to realize that, there's nothing you can do to change your readiness for on that day of competition, everything leading up to that point, that's where the work comes in, but that game or event, that's when you get to let go and have fun because ideally um, you enjoy your sport. That's why you, you know, you put in all the work, you want to have fun and competition is when you're able to do that because you're not, you know, busting your butt in the weight room you're getting to um, run free and, you know, play out the plays that you've practiced. So no amount of worry can influence, you know, that the outcome of your uh, ability at that moment. So being able to call on your confidence and say, all right, what did I do this week? That's going to guarantee me to perform at a better level than I was previously. And again, that focus is within, you're not focused on external control. So even, you know, if your AirPods weren't charged and you wanted to listen to playlists, you can still get plenty hyped by thinking about how much, um, you know, work you've put in that previous week to get you ready for that at that moment. Um, and that for me as a competitor was a huge, um, learning moment because, I always freaked out the day of. I had a teammate that used to throw up before every race. Yeah, I think um,
1: everybody has one. I had one too in college.
0: <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. And just that that's not what we want to experience because you mm. can't perform optimally like that. Of course, yeah. Um, It's crazy what nerves and anxiety can do for you, literally making you throw mm. up everything that you yeah. have. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, um, at the same time, though, a, a certain level of stress is good. You would argue, right? That
0: Absolutely, it shows
1: that you know you care of the environment you are in. As such, sure. um, I found uh, an article just yesterday I will send to you. Um, but the, it was an interview with Grant Holloway about what he's doing to prepare for the Olympics, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what he talked about. Like you said, is that he can't control it you know, once he goes out on the track that he's the best in the world for a reason and really trust in his training and his approach?
0: Yeah, there's definitely an optimal, um, arousal point and it differs for everyone. Um, I'm trying to remember what that graph is called, but it's essentially an inverse, um, bell graph. Um, and it talks about, you know, how depending on the sport or environment you're in, you know, what you need to Feel great and up to a certain point you know anxiety it it gets you prepared because we see all the time in sports like if you just watched um the gonzaga and baylor game mm-hmm. the gonzaga came out super slow and they clearly to me it seemed like they they weren't firing on all cylinders from the get the get-go um, so that's obviously being under aroused but um when you have too much anxiety, then you obviously can plummet too. So finding that zone is super important because yeah, if we, if we don't take something um, as a potential threat, then we often just, we, we, we're not on our uh, best foot forward. So mm-hmm. totally agree with you there. Oh,
1: that's great. Um, can you talk a bit about your new role? let um, see you're working at IMG now or very yeah. soon. Um, <laughs> What's that transition going to be like for you um, for your day-to-day activities and then kind of uh, what role will you play at the department and that high performance model as such?
0: Yeah, so um, I'm joining IMG as a mental conditioning coach. Um, It's a job I've sought out for quite a while um so persistence there but um i am absolutely ready and confident for the role where now looking back you know a couple of years ago when i applied for the position originally i think i would have done okay but definitely not where mm-hmm. i am now so you know everything happens for a reason <laughs> but um i'll be joining a team of 11 other mental conditioning coaches so there's a whole mental conditioning program there it's part of their athletic and personal development department Um, there's about 1200 student athletes on campus and we each um, from my understanding get uh, a team to work with so I've been told that I'll be working primarily with track and field which is great because that's where I have the most experience um, as a coach as well as competitor so um, doing a lot of just mixed um, kind of coaching in terms of more small group team training, but I'm sure one-on-ones will happen, but I'm so excited to get back into one youth athletics, but then two being in person again. Um, I don't do well with the remote life. (laughs) Um, I mean, setting my own schedule has been cool, uh, but I'm ready to get back in person, um, and just really start to, um, or not start, but help continue the, um, the development of these, the holistic development of these student athletes. So it's, it's going to be a learning experience for me as well, which I'm very much looking forward to. Oh,
1: that's fantastic. Congratulations mm-hmm. again. Uh, that's huge. Uh, last question, Maddie, where do you see the future to feel going in sports psychology? Um, are we making as much progress as we should and kind of <laughs> what will the next five years look like, for example?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's such a great question. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited to be in this field, because even when I started my degree back in 2016, um, there's been so much more you know, presence or just um, what's the word? Exposure across, you know, athletics in general with mental performance. You look at all of these professional athletes coming out and talking about, um, you know, how like Calm, I think LeBron is the sponsor for that Calm app, which is all about, you know, mindfulness meditation. Kevin Love talking about, you know, his struggles with mental performance. So the more we can normalize just talking about like the demons that we are dealing with on a regular basis, the more it's going to, I just think, propel this field forward. And just because you engage in mental performance work doesn't mean that you're weak or that, you know, you do have demons that you need to fight. It's just Mm -hmm. saying, Hey, I've identified this area of improvement. Let's get better. Um, So I I think there is a lot of, stigma that still needs to be dealt with in terms of what men's performance actually is because I think a lot of people still look at it as therapy which is not the case I mean feelings do come out just naturally but it's not anything like a therapy session Um, there's so there's so much more to it so I think it's a very exciting time for a field as it continues to get more exposure people become more uh, open minded to what it can actually lead to. Um, and you know, there's so many great examples of professional athletes saying, you know, it was my mental performance that made a difference because everyone can, you know, improve their physical performance to a, a similar level, you know, you see like the optimal height, weight, um, strength ratio and all of that. But that leads uh, to me for, to believe that the biggest difference then can be made uh, made by what's going on in between your ears Mm -hmm. so that's just that should excite any competitor saying oh wow I can do that I can get better by just thinking about my thoughts okay let's do it Um, because it's really not that hard Um, I think there's also a barrier um, which under understandably so in something new or unknown it's like oh that that seems a little scary or I'm not sure um, what to do with it but it's you don't need any fancy skill or um, outside tool Um, like even when you go in the weight room you need a barbell you need bands Mm.
1: Um,
0: body weight training only goes so far Um,
1: of course yeah
0: so it's a really, um, doesn't have to be an extravagant um, overhaul to your current training to implement it in. So a long-winded answer to your question. It's a very exciting time.
1: No, that's a great lines. insight. There's a, a <laughs> lot of takeaways from here. Even I've taken a lot of notes myself and uh, do when I um, follow up with, with some things off Uh, Mike, if you're okay with that.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks
1: Maddie. Uh, Maddie, I appreciate you coming on and want to wish you all the best as you start in your new role at IMG Academy. Thank you.
0: Thank you for having me. I've loved the conversation. (laughs)